Hi guys, my name is Mike Todd, like Mark said, and uh, I get the privilege of being a part of this ministry and serving you guys, and uh, I'm here with my wife, Lena. She's sitting in the front row, you should get to know her. Yeah, she's my, one of my favorite people, should be my favorite person. I'm telling you, she is amazing, so you get, should get to know her. Um, the reason why I love this ministry is because the season of life that we're in right now, the, the season that you are in right now, is is so pivotal. The decisions that you guys can make right now will affect your entire life. And, the, and we're gonna be talking, uh, continuing our series, Waiting Forward, and we're gonna be going through the topic of worshiping through the wait. Worshiping in the wait. And the reason why I think this is so important is because if we can learn these patterns right now, it will affect the rest of our lives and how we deal with conflict and how we deal with pain, and how we deal with sorrow. But um, when I use the word worship, I think uh, a lot of us immediately think of maybe music. We think of what we just did a moment ago on stage, or perhaps you think it's a genre of music, but worship is something that goes way beyond that. Worship is uh, anything that you do to please God. You can do anything with your hands and do anything that you do with your life. You can do it to worship God. And one of the best ways that I like to explain it is that uh, it's called worth-ship. Worth-ship. Because every single one of us puts worth on something. So what do you put worth on in your life? If, you, if all you ever do is put worth on your finances, that is what you, you, you worship. If you, the only thing that you ever uh, put worth on is a relationship, then that is the thing that you worship. If the only thing that you ever put worth on is school, your career, or the fact that uh, you want a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you want to see that relationship progress, and, and that is the thing you worth, uh, you're putting worth and value on. And it affects how you make decisions. It affects everything about your life. And I think every single one of us, I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but you are a worshiper. Not only that, you were created to worship. You were created by God to put worth on Him, to acknowledge Him in all your ways, to praise Him. And I'm convinced that through, throughout our lives, a lot of the pain that we go through, just as we heard right here, uh, she went through a terrible circumstance and they found comfort and peace in God. And, and that's because her faith and her praise and her worship was in the right place. And a, a lot of the pain that we go through is because we have misplaced worship. We have misplaced worship. We place worth, too much worth, on things that fail us on people that walk out on us, on things like jobs, which we can get fired from, on finances, which are so easily changed by circumstance and life and economy. We put all this worth, we build up uh, all this worth on family. Family's a good thing. But if it's the source of your joy and your peace, it's gonna eventually end. Everybody's time will come eventually. Everybody is gonna pass on into the next life. And so you can't put all your hope on family or friends or finances. And so that is what we're gonna talk about tonight, is how we can reorient our worship and place it on something that's eternal, 
something that is unchanging, something that is not affected by the circumstances and the systems of this world and something that will endure forever. And we can place our worship on the person of Jesus. That's what we're gonna be talking about. Now, um, we're gonna be talking about, the ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself this question. Why do we worship with pain and suffering? Why should we worship through pain and suffering? And the first reason we're gonna go through is it connects us to the only person who can give us peace. It connects us to the only person who gives us peace. There's a story in the Bible of a bunch of guys. Uh, these were the disciples. They were uh, traveling with Jesus and Jesus was teaching them. He was training them. And Jesus tells them all to get into a boat. And so they're about to cross the sea. And so they all get into uh, this boat. And as soon as they take off, Jesus goes down into the stern of the boat. And he starts napping. And that's kind of where we pick up the story. It's gonna be in Mark chapter four, verse 37. If you have your Bibles, go to it. If not, it's gonna be on the screen. But in verse 37, it says, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, which was Jesus, he, but Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion. He was asleep on the cushion. Here, Jesus is napping, unfazed by the storm. And in this storm, uh, we have to remember who's in the boat, right? I don't, I don't know if you know this, but Peter, which, who, was, who was one of the disciples, he was actually a professional fisherman. He, uh, he knew how to navigate the water. He made his living, his livelihood on his family business, which was fishing. So uh, in the middle of this storm that arises, it's like a hurricane. The wind is blowing, the waves are crashing. The waves are so big that they're sinking the boat. And Peter is out there using all the tricks of the trade, right? He's trying to manage the storm. He's trying to navigate the storm. He's doing everything he knows how to do in the middle of the storm, and it's threatening their life. It's gonna sink the boat. And he exhausts all of his expertise. He does everything he knows how to do to manage the storm, and he tries everything. And we find out what happens as we read on, and it says in verse 38, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? This is so important, and this is a word for some, some of you today. I don't know what you've walked in with, and I don't know what storm you may be going through. And I think a lot of us have been trying to manage our storms on our own. We've been walking through, through loss, through struggle, through pain, and we think we can manage it, right? We think, I got it. I don't need to tell anybody about it. I don't need to get around anybody else. I can do it, or maybe we try to numb it. Maybe we try to just forget about it. Maybe we'll just get through it and it'll go away. It won't resurface again in my life. And we try to manage it. And once we exhaust everything we know how to do, why does it take us so long to get to Jesus who was in the boat the whole time? I think so much of us, we feel just like these men, right? Uh, we, we get upset with God. We go through the storm and after we've done everything we know how to do, we go to Jesus and we ask the same question. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Do you not care that I just lost my dad? That I lost my mom? 
God, do you not know that we're going through COVID-19? God, do you not know that I gotta pay rent next month? What am I gonna do? Do you not care that I'm out here and we're perishing? And I love this verse. I love what comes next. Verse 39, the first few words says, and he awoke. Jesus awoke. This is the same Jesus who is unbothered by the fact that there is thunder, there's lightning, there's a storm, there's waves, and Jesus is able to sleep through all of it. It does not wake him up, but at the sound of his disciples' voice, at the sound of his friends and his spiritual family, the second that they call out to him and they ask him and they speak to him, he awakes. Jesus is attentive to every word that comes out of your mouth. He is listening, he is leaning in, like parents who listen and are attentive to the voice of their child when they cry out in the middle of the night, they wake up and they recognize the voice of their children. That's how Jesus is waiting for you to cry out to him and ask for help, to ask for help. So how do we do this? How do we connect to Jesus? And in verse 39, let's keep reading. It says, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now Jesus immediately wakes up. He walks out onto the boat, onto the, onto the, the front of the boat. And, uh, and he whispers to himself, oh, ye of little faith. And then he speaks peace over the storm and the waves collapse on themselves and the wind halts instantly and a calm breaks out. The disciples stand in shock of what just happened, in fear of what Jesus just did because they did not realize who they had in the boat. They didn't realize who was with them the whole time. And uh, if you're here today, I'm here to tell you that if you invite Jesus into the boat and you ask him for help. As Jesus, there's, there comes a point when you're in the boat with Jesus that he's gonna come out and he's gonna speak peace over your life. Guys, peace, it's not a thing, it's not a place, it, it, it's a person. His name is Jesus. And peace is portable, it, it can be with you all the time, anywhere you go, you don't have to walk through it alone. And I'm not saying that once you ask Jesus to come into your life and you give your life to him, I'm not saying that you're not gonna go through storms, but he will be there every step of the way. He will be with you every step of the way. And we need to understand that we need to grasp this, all oh, that we could grasp this because we're, you're gonna go through storms in your life. There are gonna be times when you're gonna to need to lean on something that won't break, something that won't let you down, and that is Jesus. The second reason we're gonna walk through is that it reminds us that God is in control. We walk through, uh, we worship uh, through pain and suffering because it reminds us who's in control. Just like those disciples, they thought they could control their situation and they could manage the trouble there's another text, another story that I really like in the Bible that's in Acts chapter 16, and it's about Paul and Silas. 
Paul and Silas, they, they were doing everything right. They were uh, preaching the gospel. They were going from city to city, telling people about Jesus and that Jesus died on the cross and that he was raised from the dead. And he was telling, uh, they were preaching for forgiveness of sins and people were coming to know Christ. And they go into the city and then there's this demon possessed girl that was chasing after them, yelling and screaming. And, and Paul kind of gets tired of it. And so he just casts the demon out. But the problem is this girl had a gift. Uh, she had an ability in, in order to tell the future. And there was these men that made great profit off of this ability that she had. And so they were very upset at this. So that's where we're picking up the story in Acts chapter 16, verse 22. We read and it says, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them, in, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the, the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Everything goes south immediately for them. They were imprisoned. They were beaten severely and all because they were doing the right things. I think that sometimes we feel the same way. I don't know what your prison is. I don't know what your chains are, but I think some of us have tried to manage our storm. We're trying to do the right thing. We try to take the right steps and it seems like even though we have integrity in our work. Someone, somebody else gets promoted. And it seems like we're waiting and we're waiting for, for God to see that we're trying. We're trying to do what's right. We're trying to live our, uh, our, our lives righteously to give him glory. And it, it seems like we're in this perpetual state of waiting. God, do you not see what's happening? And other people advance and it seems like it gets worse. And that's where Paul and Silas found themselves in a prison, in the darkest part of the prison after having been beaten. But I wanna focus on this next verse. In verse 25, it says, about midnight. What is your struggle at midnight? Because isn't that true? That the struggle and the loneliness and the pain comes after you at midnight. It seems like the devil always likes to chase after you when you're alone when you've isolated yourself, when no one else is around, when you are alone with your thoughts and about midnight, about midnight, what is your struggle about midnight? Paul and Silas, let's keep reading. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Paul was with Silas and Silas had a Paul. They were encouraging each other. They were stirring each other up. They were praying, they were singing. They were reminding themselves of where their worth lied. It wasn't in what was in their circumstance. It wasn't what was happening around them because they had a lot of reasons to complain. They had a lot of reasons to, to worry about what was gonna happen to them. But instead they're singing. So let me, tell, let me ask you this question, who do you have? Because you see that Paul and Silas were a team. They were together. And that's why, and they were stronger because of it. So who do you have in your life that's gonna stir up worship in your heart? Someone who's gonna remind you of your worth uh, and someone who's gonna remind you of where you should place all your worth. 
Because that is why it's so important that we uh, be a part of a small group. That's why we have small groups right after the service because no, God did not intend for any of us to walk alone. God did not intend for any of us to go through struggles by ourselves. And I think a lot of us try to white knuckle our problems and we, we think that we got it, but look, God designed us to be in community so that we can lift each other up and stir each other to worship Him. I love uh, what uh, Joy said in the video. It got me so fired up, I'm not gonna lie. That, that video made me cry the first time I watched it. My heart was broken, but I was so encouraged at the peace and the joy that they had. They were completely free. There's nothing in this world I, I think that could affect them when they are living out their worship in front of God with such peace because their peace was in the person of Jesus. They were unshaken by what was happening. They were shaken, but they weren't down. They could get back up because their focus was on Christ. Your worship is a weapon is the words she used. Your worship is a weapon. We're gonna read on what happens in the, the rest of the passage. It says in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And then it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. And the prisoner, prisoners were listening to them. Not only that, as soon as uh, they, they began singing, there's a great earthquake and all the doors of the prison get open wide. All their shackles fall off and the jailer gets terribly afraid because he thinks that he's failed and that he's gonna get punished because everyone escaped. But Paul cries out and tells him to not take his life because everybody's there. And look at the response that the, that the jailer had as soon as he heard these words. In verse 29 it says, and the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be safe? Guys, your worship is a weapon. Your worship is a weapon. There are people that are watching your lives and you know, the power of your testimony and the power of your worship will impact people's lives for an eternity. So I charge you to please place all your worth on Christ. And then when you're in your darkest hour, remember that God has purpose for your pain. God has purpose for your pain. And let me tell you also that in God's kingdom, if you accept Christ as your savior and you ask, you give your life to Jesus, that I can guarantee you that when you follow Jesus, there is no such thing as wasted pain. There's no such thing as wasted pain in the kingdom of God. He will turn graves into gardens. He will make uh, beautiful things out of dust, out of the darkest places. The darkest places and the darkest times are the most fertile ground for God to work. It's where the, his light shines the most. It's where uh, God does the most work. It's where he's the most present. He's, it's where he's the most engaged in your life is in the darkest times. He loves you. He wants you to come and be a part of his family. The third reason that we worship, uh, we worship when we're going through pain and sufferings that it focuses on heaven. It focuses us on heaven. Whenever we worship, 
in everything we do, whenever we, whenever we give to our tithes, whenever we sing praises, whenever we honor God in our private life, whenever we honor him in public, whenever we honor him and praise him at our jobs, whenever we do everything as unto the Lord uh, in worship, it aligns us. It aligns our perspective with the divine. It aligns our perspective with heaven. It raises your eyes past the circumstances of this world, past the pains, the suffering, and the losses. It gets us from, it stops us from fixating on the situation and on the circumstances that we are in and places it on Jesus in heaven. And even though we're going through all these sorrows and, and, and these losses, just as the Kelly family had to go through, they could place their eyes and place their hope and, and their peace was resting in the fact that they are once again gonna see their dad in heaven. They're once again gonna see them and be in their embrace when they get to heaven. Heaven is a place that if you understood its worth, and if you understood the, the, the value of being in the, and seeing, being with and seeing the face of Jesus, you would give everything up for it. You would leverage your resources. You would leverage all your connections. You would do whatever it took to get there if you understood the, in, the great value that exists in heaven. And we know this. The Bible says so in, in uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses three through four, the apostle John says this. Uh, it says in verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Death will be gone. There will be no more tears, no more sorrow when we're, in the fa when we're face to face with our Savior, with Jesus. I'm telling you, heaven is gonna be great, but being with Jesus is gonna be better. Our Savior, he's the person, uh, the Son of God who came to die for our sins. Uh, a lot of us ask our, I've asked ourselves the question, where is God through my pain and suffering? And let me tell you that God has come to us 2,000 years ago when he and God invaded this world through his son Jesus and died on a cross, taking the punishment for our sin. And now because of his sacrifice, what he has done for us, he took our punishment. Now we can have forgiveness of our sins and we can place our hope in him because he has overcome death. And now, he can, now when we place our trust in him, we can place our hope into heaven because one day we'll be with him and see him face to face. I don't know about you, but that makes me excited. It makes me excited because if you could only grasp this, it would change everything about how you live. It would change how you lived your life, how you went to work. It would change how you spent your money. It would change how you dated. It would change everything about you. I wanna tell you a story about one of the most influential people in my life. Um, I have several people, but one of them by far is my grandpa. 
My grandpa uh, was a missionary. And if you don't know what a missionary is, is someone uh, who uh, goes to a different country, a different city, with a different language, uh, a different culture, and begins to tell them about Jesus. God, uh, my, my grandpa gave his life to God when he, whenever he was a teenager. He uh, gave his life to him completely, and God begins to stir his heart. And God immediately burns him, burdens him with telling people about Jesus in Argentina. So after he got married, married my grandma, and in the 60s, he gets on a boat. This is back before airplane travel couldn't go that far. He gets on a boat in New Orleans and sets out for Argentina. Once he gets there, he doesn't know the language. He uh, goes through so many trials trying to learn and get acclimated to the culture. And he begins, uh, once he can speak a little bit of the language, he begins to tell people about Jesus and what what God has done for him. People begin to get saved. People begin to give his life, their life to Jesus. Churches begin to form. And not only that, they start youth camps and they start conferences and people uh, are becoming to know Christ and he put all of his worth on Jesus. One day after a missionary group had gone down to help them build and do some construction projects and, and, do, and do some volunteer work for the church. Some people break into their home, expecting to find a bunch of Americans in their house. But they were disappointed only to find my grandpa and my grandma asleep. They wake them up at gunpoint. Disappointed, they begin to torture them and beat them. And they beat them and gag them and tie them up in the bathroom. And I, my grandma tells me that they begin to pray and, and that they were preparing their hearts to go see Jesus. But instead they decide to take off and leave and they go and they rob the church and they, they move on. And I remember it so vividly because there was a meeting afterwards where a lot of the pastors and a lot of the church gets together and, and they give announcements and they start telling how churches in the United States and family and, uh, and friends in the United States are saying, you need to come home for a season. You need to come back, it's too dangerous. And even people in the room are telling them the same thing. You should do, you should go home. It's not safe for you here. And I remember it just like it was yesterday. My grandpa says, I'm not gonna leave because I love you. And God is not done working here. I don't know about you, but that marks me. And not only that, he lived out his faith in such a way, he put all of his worth and all of his worship in heaven that at his funeral a few years ago, three generations of his family sang these words over his casket. Says this, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Your your worship is a weapon. It has power. The way you respond in times of suffering, in times of trial, 
whenever you give your life to Jesus, there's no such thing as wasted pain. Things that he has said will echo in the mouth of my grandchildren because of his faith. And I'm excited about tonight because I think God is doing that in some of your lives. I think that some of the things that you decide tonight, you decide ahead of time of how you're gonna respond in times of suffering and some of, in times of pain and where you're gonna place your worship. And it's gonna affect generation after generation in your family. And what, what could happen here in this room has the potential to echo all across Tampa. I'm gonna pray over you right now in this moment. So if everyone can bow your eyes just so that we can have a moment of privacy with God, I want you to examine your heart and ask yourself, where do I place my worth? What is it that I worship? God, I wanna pray over, over the exchange of ministry. I wanna pray over every person here. I don't know who uh, is here that has walked in with uh, different chains and different problems and different sorrows. God, I just wanna ask you to please don't let them walk out without making a decision to either trust you for the first time and give you their life. Or maybe somebody needs to get into community. They've been walking alone, trying to manage the storms. God, and I just ask that they would no longer walk alone, that they would walk and find a group and walk alongside someone who is gonna stir them up to worship and place the worship in the right place, that we wouldn't keep placing our worship in the wrong places. Heavenly Father, I know that you are with us and you are attentive to every word. So I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.